This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. Welcome into the Huskies Warming House podcast, episode number 118, recording here on this Thursday evening, the last night uh, in June before we head on to July, a uh, show coming out on Friday. And Nick, we have got a good one here. I'm Noah Grant, of course, along with Nick Maxson joining me as always, Nick. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about, uh, some Memorial Cup things that are kind of interesting in the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup. That's an interesting tidbit that we can talk about. Uh, Evgeny Malkin and the Penguins and Chris Letang. It's not looking so hot anymore also. I told you. I told you. <laughs> in the Weekly Roundup as well. Main portion of the show, we're going to talk about the big one, uh, the Minnesota Wild dealing Kevin Fiala. What does that mean uh, for the Wild and their next steps uh, in the offseason? Uh, the Stanley Cup final is finally over. Some fun facts of about that and we finally get to stop talking about the Colorado Avalanche thank god um and lastly extra ice session uh pretty interesting article coming out in the score uh about Alexander McGillney and we're going to take a look at the Hall of Fame and talk about uh, kind of their balloting process and see if there should be a little bit more transparency out in that uh sort of realm without further ado starting off as always center ice news and notes in the Huskies Illustrated weekly roundup Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. Illustrated Weekly Roundup, Noah, and before we get to some more local chatter, shall we say, uh, we need to head up north to the uh, CHL um, as the St. John Sea Dogs uh, beat the Hamilton Bulldogs in the 2022 Memorial Cup yesterday in New Brunswick. Um, this is their first win uh, since 2019, a second title uh, in franchise history that is first going back to 2011. Um, a couple of prospects in here. New York Idlers prospect William DeFore was named the Memorial Cup MVP. He led the tournament with seven goals. Uh, St. John uh, securing its place in the Memorial Cup final after going 2-0-1 in preliminary round robin action. Uh, before participating in that, the Sea Dogs went 39 days between games after being eliminated by the Ramuski Oceanic. Um, hmm, no good players have come to that yeah. organization, have they? Yeah. Um, for those playing the home game, Sydney, Sydney Crosby. Crosby. Yes. Um, in the first round of the QMJHL playoffs, Cedars uh, actually fired bench boss uh, Gordy Dwyer following their early exit and replaced him with interim head coach uh, Gartner uh, McDougal. Uh, yeah, I don't know what to think about that. That's bizarre, right? It's the timing. Um, your season technically isn't over yet. 
um, and uh, what the actual hell. Yeah, you know, so so here's the thing about the Memorial Cup. For those who don't know, uh, it's kind of like, you know, similar to the Olympics where, you know, wherever location tries to get a bid to host the Memorial Cup. Uh, but in this case, it's CHL teams. But think about it like this. Let's say, uh, let's say the Olympics are held in Japan. The difference between the Memorial Cup and other tournaments is that regardless of if, if Japan went 0-4 in the Olympic prelims, they would still make the medal round. That's that's kind of how, how you look at this. And the CHL is the same way, where the host team, regardless of their performance, will make at least the round robin play for the Memorial Cup um, for the final four teams. Uh, now, uh, part of the reason there's been a lot of people that have talked about this being an asterisk because of that fact, um, and other people are saying, well, you still had to play the games, and they got the job done. They went 2-0-1 in the prelims, uh, and they won the game that mattered against Hamilton. Uh, St. John, the reason that they had a coaching change, interestingly enough, uh, they were, I believe, the highest scoring team in the CHL this year. Uh, and they ended up getting bounced by like the ninth place team out of 16 in the playoffs or whatever it was. They got bounced by a very lower seed that they shouldn't have lost to. Um, but were, their saving grace was that they were the host team. So they got a chance, another kick at the can, had a coaching change in those 39 days and ended up going on and winning it all. Um, it's a unique format that you don't see in a lot of sports, much less mm -hmm. hockey in general. Um, I don't know how to feel about it. Like on one hand, like I, I get people's frustration, but on the other hand, like, dude, that's kind of cool. Like they, they, is they, this caps, is this capsule convention in the coaching <laughs> way? I'm not sure, but like, how cool, like how cool is that? that way, doesn't it? Well, like, like you're down and out and you, you're by the grace of whoever your one saving prospect is that you just happen to be the host team that year. You come back 39 days later, not playing a game in almost a month and a half, and you get the job done. Like, part of it is kind of like, well, that's BS, but other part of it is like, kudos to them. Like, they they didn't roll over and die. They had to play the games, and they got it done. It's a lot of time between the drop of the puck, too, right? So yeah. what you always wonder about rust, and you know, in that short amount of time, you wonder what impact a, a change of, of coaching can do. Yeah. Because um, again, as you mentioned, high scoring team in CHL. Um, you got to imagine that if anything, it was more of like, you know, you're pulling the starting goaltender, um, unless you're Patrick Waugh, um, <laughs> you get hung up there to drive for seven or eight goals, but maybe that's what woke the team up. I mean, I can't imagine again, you're doing much drastically different, uh, than under the, you know, old head coach. So if yeah. anything, it's a wake up call, it's, you know, it's shaking the boots a little bit. Um, but yeah, as you mentioned, still got to go out there and perform <laughs> and execute. And I, they did. And like you said, unique circumstances and, uh, I'm not sure we'll see something like that for a while. I'm just imagining Gordy Dwyer just sitting on his couch, holding a beer with his mouth just totally open, just staring at the TV like, really? <laughs> right. So, but yeah, um, how about this? Let's, 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 let's press on um, because we're going to stay with the CHL. And it's a story we've been following uh, for the past almost probably a month now, I would say, Noah. And this has to do uh, more with the fallout. From the alleged, uh, from the, uh, I suppose the lawsuit, not the alleged, but the lawsuit. Yeah. Um, so how about this? Scotiabank, Canadian Tire, and Tim Hortons. So these are all big corporate sponsors of Hockey Canada. They are suspending its support or for the organization as well as the Canadian endeavors for the World Junior Championships. Now, this is large, Noah Grant. Mm -hmm. And this is large for a couple of different reasons because as we've been following the calls for testimony um, in front of the Canadian government, because again, 
Hockey Canada does receive public funds to be able to do its operations. That's always nice, but as we all know, money talks. And you kind of wonder with three pretty prominent sponsorships. Yeah. Now, keyword suspended, not ended. Now, granted, suspensions can be indefinite, but this, this you might see a little bit more fallout than what we're seeing, I suppose, with the testimonies. Yeah, you know, I, I I kind of like suspension better than ending. And the reason I say that is because, you know, if you have a sponsor who who ends association with you, you know, you're kind of starting from square one and you, you can go out and kind of do your own thing. At this particular point, this kind of puts the onus on Hockey Canada to do the right thing here. And then when they're able to do the right thing by, you know, demonstration of those sponsorships returning, it's almost kind of like getting the voucher of the people, so to speak, again, in some senses, because I mean, don't get me wrong, they're corporations, but they are representative of everyday life, you know, especially in a Canadian market. So, um, you know, I, I kind of like this move, it, it makes sense. And it kind of says Hockey Canada, figure your crap out, get it done. And um, I think things are progressing. We've talked about this, it's going to take some time, but we are moving in the right direction. And this is just another step of that. But um, threw it in there, because I thought it was kind of an interesting little segment. And uh Definitely. I mean, it's our only Hockey Canada news of the week. It's small, um, but it's not insignificant, as you had mentioned. No, it's in, it's very impactful. I, I think we're going to see uh, some fallout from that here relatively soon, uh, more than we're seeing with maybe some other things that we have been following. Uh, speaking of impact, how about this? Detroit has finally inked a new head coach, a former Iowa Wild head coach, Derek Lalonde. Yeah. Uh, spent the last four seasons uh, down in Tampa as an assistant to John Cooper. So he's got a couple of Stanley Cup rings, right? Uh, knows GM uh, Steve Eisenman pretty well. Uh, this will be the 28th coach in franchise history for the Red Wings, um, which leaves only Boston and Winnipeg as the only two NHL teams without a head coach. Um, apparently, Jim Montgomery has been interviewed in Boston. So was uh, David Quinn. Um, that's at least a couple of names have been thrown around as far as Winnipeg. Uh I haven't heard a ton of names on Winnipeg. I think just today I saw uh, Jeff Blaschel uh, kind of surface as a name that they maybe kicked the tires on. Yeah. Um, but going back to Boston, uh, as you know, Jim Montgomery, former Denver University head coach, and then Dallas Stars head coach, um, had some personal issues, took some time away from hockey, uh, rejoined as an assistant with uh, Craig Ruby in uh, St. Louis. So he's actually at least mm -hmm. gotten back into the NHL circle. So, uh, Interesting, yeah, very interesting for Lalonde. That's a great hire by by Iserman. Yeah, and it's it's good to see these guys that have really paid their dues get their their kick at the can. I think it's it's easy to look at your John Tortorellas, your Barry Trotzes, and say, you know, that's the guy that we want. But sometimes when you look internally and people who who either know a system or know a general manager system and know how to play into that, that's a big asset too, because uh, you know, the Detroit Red Wings are not going to win a Stanley cup next year. Let's just put that out there right now. Um, but they have a lot of uh, key components that have really started to, you know, flourish down there. You know, Lucas, Lucas Raymond, uh, Moritz Sider, a lot of good young pieces that they're able to build around. Um, and this will be another stepping stone for them. And like you mentioned, Boston and Winnipeg, the only two teams left sounds like from what I've heard that Jim Montgomery is all but, signed sealed and delivered for the bees so i wouldn't be shocked to hear that in the next couple of days but haven't really heard a whole lot from the jets and i think part of that reason is i think they were probably one of the front front runners from what i heard uh when it comes to barry trotz and now they've kind of had to circle back and kind of go to the bottom of the barrel again so to speak in relative terms there's a lot of great sure 
potential coaching candidates that can coach in the National Hockey League. So um, they're both going to get it done, but it sounds like the bees are a little bit closer so far. But congratulations. Uh, Detroit uh, found its one key piece on the front office side, head coaching side, if you will. And uh, now it's time to improve that on-ice product. It is uh, lots of cap space uh, to play with, too, for Detroit, and uh, also a couple of high draft picks as well coming up for the Red Wings, who are uh, trying to get back to playoff prominence uh, after uh, some multiple seasons now, um, not uh, having made, what was it, 27 or 28 straight playoff appearances? 25. 25. Okay. Yeah. Still a run, either way you slice it, right? Yeah. Um, I, I, just, I just hear Ben Holden's voice in my head. He's like, dude, that's crazy, man. Like, I just, I, I hear that. Yeah. Him, him sitting with, hey, of all things, a Tim Hortons coffee cup. He's uh, he's not yeah. he's not a supporter of Hockey Canada. He can't be right. He loves That's his true. Tim Hortons. <laughs> yes, he does. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of Boston, uh, GM Don Sweeney um, inking a multi-year extension um, as part of another signing. Uh, Toronto up defenseman Timothy Lilligren, a two-year deal at one point four million dollars annually. Um, down in Dallas, netminder Scott Wedgwood has signed a two-year extension down there as well as buffalo how about this bringing back 41 year old craig anderson for his 20th nhl season good for craig anderson uh you talk about a a goalie well just how about an athlete and a person that's gone through quite a bit craig anderson is one of them um and good to see him get another kick um, at the nhl so for his 20th season barring he can stay healthy yeah, $1.5 million is uh, for the year for Craig Anderson. Actually, more than Scott Wedwood will make annually. Scott Wedgwood is at a million each year. Um, and I think that the fact that Scott Wedgwood is at a million dollars maybe signals question marks for Braden Holtby and where they see him sitting into the future in Dallas. I thought he had a pretty good year with the Stars, all things considered. Um, kind of a little bit of a mini bounce back year before his injury right before the playoffs. But uh, yeah, Scott Wedgwood has been a serviceable backup in the National Hockey League for a long time. And I think the emergence of Jake Ottinger has yeah. Dallas looking forward and looking that they're probably going to need some extra money to re-sign him probably as early as next season. Yeah, it's uh, in fact, I'm trying to remember, is he, I think Ottinger is an RFA now, if I'm not mistaken, I could be, I could be wrong. You um, might which, be right on that. Um, um, let me check. We, we did do a central division preview for those who didn't get a chance back in last episode in episode 117, where we kind of took a little mini deep dive into each team and their cap situation and what it means for them. But I'm trying to remember Ottinger, it's either this year or next year, um, that he's an RFA. He is an RFA right now as we yep. speak. I was going to say, so they're looking so for some. be a UFA. So in other words, uh, I think what the signals is, as you mentioned, um, is it going to be Braden Holpe or is it going to be Jack Ottinger? I would think, uh, just part of what we've seen, I think it's Jack Ottinger and Braden Holpe. Uh has he come to Minnesota now? I think that's I was, the obvious thing. I was, was going to say, I mean, there, there's, but like you say it in jest, but like, and I think it's someone, actually possible. Yeah. I think someone will offer him a pretty decent little price tag. Minnesota only has seven and a half million cap to work with. We'll talk about that later as well, too. But uh, sure. yeah, Craig Anderson, 20 years in the National Hockey League, he just awesome. seems, seems to never go away. And of course, he's been through a tumultuous ride in the past half decade or so. So um, wishing him the best of luck in Buffalo because uh, wishing everybody the best of luck in Buffalo because Buffalo is Buffalo. Um, although I did see that Kim Pagula has been in the hospital for a pa- the past couple of weeks. So wishing her mm-hmm. health um, the best as well. Um, the health of the Eastern Conference. Speaking of signing news, uh, reports are coming out that Evgeny Malkin and the Pens have not been talking regularly um, after engaging in their initial discussions um, when the club season ended on May 15th. Um, this comes from the athletic and, uh, Josh Yoey. Um, yep. 
Yeah, numerous agents and some people within the organization uh, reportedly believe it's pretty unlikely that Evgeny Malkin is going to return. So I completely agree. And, and I know that we talked about, you know, Chris Letang is kind of the front runner there. Um, meanwhile, they've offered him a three-year uh, contract, but the star defenseman wants a five-year deal with a cap hit north of $8 million per year. Now, now, Chris Letang was seventh in Norris Trophy voting this year and had a pretty decent season, and Evgeny Malkin had 42 points in 41 games. So they both had productive seasons, but they are getting older. I think Pittsburgh Malkin's is off. injured to hell yeah. every single year. I think that Pittsburgh is really scared about the term on that one. Um, I, don't, I don't think it's so much... Uh, $8 million per year, although I think that's a pretty hefty price tag. I think, you know, 34 going to 37, it looks a lot different than 34 going to 40. Like that's the a risk. The risk goes up exponentially every year. Yes, it especially does. With a history of injuries on both players. So $23 million in cap space. One way Pittsburgh is expected to probably clear that cap if needed. Uh, defensemen, they've got a surplus of demon. Kind of sounds like another NHL team. We know uh, Marcus Pedersen, Brian Dumoulin, John Marino are all kind of the candidates that potentially will go. Um, Pedersen seems like the one, uh, you know, three years left, $4 million annually is probably the most likely to go because 22-year-old Pierre Oliver Joseph is ready for a full-time NHL role, and he and Pedersen both play the left side. So that's pretty much found money in uh, P.O. Joseph if you're going to keep him around. So, um, yeah, Pittsburgh, suddenly we thought, we looked at that and said, yeah, they could do it. You know, they could do some finagling and get it done and make it happen if one of those guys took it, you know, something somewhat team-friendly. But, boy, it seems like both those guys want their money in their last probably big contract of their careers. And I think I had made the argument, too, that I think Malkin, I did not see him coming back more because of his injury uh, promise. And I, I, yeah. um, Malkin's been pretty uh, pretty sure-footed on uh, his value, at least uh, in his mind, what he's worth for playing. And as you mentioned, he's still a point-per-game player when he plays. But again, um, he has not had a healthy season in at least two, if not three seasons, if I can recall, Noah. Yeah. He's had some significant injuries and again, when you get to this age, uh, that risk of re-injury uh, just continues to go up. And again, with that cap hit and things are already tighter on the league, um, every dollar matters. So that one, I could see eventually them signing him, but he's going to have to really retract not only on the turn, but also on the dollar amount for him to get back into Pittsburgh. Yeah, it sounds like Malkin is also off by about two years in contract length as well, too. So Pittsburgh has some finagling to do. Uh, sadder news, moving north back into Canada. The man who was credited with the game winner, I say credited, you'll hear in a second why, for the Toronto Maple Leafs' last Stanley Cup has died at the age of 82. Jim Pappen spent five seasons with the Leafs, two Stanley Cups during that time, and also played for Chicago, the California Seals, and the Cleveland Barons. He had 640 points in 859 games. For those who are wondering, um, Nick was alive when California and Cleveland still played in the 60s. So, um, so in other words, he played <laughs> for the grandfather of the San Jose Sharks. Basically, <laughs> basically, yeah. You know, if, if if you're ever bored for young hockey fans out there who haven't gotten a chance to look, I mean, Cleveland had some uh, interesting unis too. But you got to look up the California Golden Seals uniforms. The they white are skates. Oh my goodness, they are something else. They're oh like my. almost they're almost like football jerseys. They remind me of like uh, maybe like the Chargers. And they're kind of like shoulder style, I guess. But uh, the reason I say credited with the game winner, and we wish, we wish, of course, Jim Pappen's family the, uh, the best during this time. But uh, he was given credit for Toronto's second goal in a 3-1 to one series-ending victory over Montreal in Game 6 on May 2nd, 1967. Also, coincidentally, is Nick's birthday. Um, line mate 
Steve, or excuse me, linemate Pete Stemkowski actually deflected this puck in, but allowed Pappen to take credit so he could earn a contract bonus. Talk about a different era. Is that, yeah, is that, that is wouldn't that, happen today. Is that pre, is that pre analytics and video replay just to, that would be pre well, effectively <laughs> you kind of wonder at that point, I don't think there's an off ice official that was yeah. really looking at that. And they probably just asked the players like, Hey, is that yours? Yeah. No, it wasn't off my stick. It hit the fence. No, it's him. Probably. Yeah, imagine, imagine if that was the case. I mean, obviously we had Wayne Gretzky, so we got to see, you know, uh, that, you know, star flourish, but imagine if like, you know, Maurice Richard ended up being the highest scorer in NHL history. And it turns out he's like, yeah, probably like 300 of my goals. I probably didn't actually score like, you know, something, something wild, wild like that. He's definitely though, Nick, he's definitely in the hall of fame. Our second to last Mm -hmm. topic here, uh, hall of fame news. Uh, this kind of ties into our extra ice session, Vancouver Canucks icons, Henrik and Daniel Sedin, and also Roberto Luongo headlined the hockey hall of fames induction class of 2022. That's no surprise. there. all three very great players. Uh, Daniel Alfredson and Finnish women's national team star Rika Salainen are the other players joining them, while Herb Carnegie has been inducted posthumously as a builder. So um, pretty good entries there, I think. We're going to talk about uh, maybe an entry that was snubbed, though, in the extra ice mm-hmm. session. So we'll save that for a little bit later. Last topic, Nick, injury news. Uh, we're finally getting the reports of what's come out of the Stanley Cup final uh, for Tampa Bay on their side of things. It's a, Yikes. It's uh, I think it's bad for both teams. I'm guessing Colorado too, but it's a lot better when you win. Uh, right. Braden Point, significant quad tear in Game 7 of the first round against Toronto. That one was kind of well known. Uh, Nikita Kucherov, MCL ailment. Uh, of course, he's had some real issues with his knees and uh, ligaments in his lower half of his body. Anthony Sorelli sprained a C joint that may require surgery. Ryan McDonough, um, his fingers pretty messed up from all reports, and it also Both sounds like, mangled. Yeah, and it also sounds like they're trying to get him to move his no trade clause and move him from the Lightning as well too. So uh, yeah, uh, he'll have to point the finger over where he wants to go, although it might not be where he thinks. Oh boy, oof. Uh, Pierre Edouard Belmar playing through a meniscus injury that he suffered even before the postseason began. Brandon Hagel, a foot fracture in round number two. Uh, ouch. Uh, Nick Paul, who I thought was fantastic this postseason, uh, sprained AC joint and an MCL sprain, and Corey Perry has a sprained AC joint of his own. So I can relate to Brendan Hagel on a foot fracture. I'll put it that way. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just uh, yeah, read the play better next time. Why don't you? Yeah, right. Uh, for, you know, for those playing the home game, uh, that sucks. <laughs> for the, not that you didn't have to hear it like that, but. It's it's worse when you're when you have the skates that we have now, um, yeah. Because they're so form fitting, there's really no padding. You your part of your body is literally absorbing all the energy, yeah. and because the skate is wrapped so tight, you kind of well, well, how do they skate on this? Well, the skate's wrapped tight, and I'm assuming there's some uh, what we call pain management that's being done. <laughs> Uh, but when this when the injury is first suffered, I mean, trust me, when you take um, your foot out of the boot there, um, let's just say that you you know pretty quickly something was really major because the the swelling then is, has a place to go. Um, yeah. Not speaking from experience myself by any means. So yeah, for yeah, those it's, it's, for those it's not fun. For those who want to know, uh, nursing time with Noah. If you do have what's called edema in your feet from such an occurrence, I uh, uh, rice pattern obviously but more importantly the first part of that uh you know elevate your foot elevate it let that blood flow move back down to the upper part of your body boom science uh someone else who's going to be elevating their extremities uh, our last guy here uh florida's anthony duclair who finally enjoyed a breakout season 
Yikes. 31 goals, 27 assists for the Panthers. The 26-year-old, he's going to be out, uh, what they say, long-term after an Achilles tendon tear during an off-season workout. So wishing him uh, the best of luck as he moves through his recovery. Uh, Luckily, a full season out, likely. Yikes. Yeah, for sure, I would say six-month minimum, probably 10. Uh, And that's probably pre-workout and pre-back into game shape. So that's going to be a tough one. for yeah, back from for sure. Yeah, not good. Uh, we're going to talk about some tough ones. The Minnesota Wild losing Kevin Fiala as we head on to our main show. And welcome into the Huskies Warming House podcast. Nick Maxson alongside myself, Noah Grant, episode number 118. Uh, welcoming you on what will be the 4th of July weekend. Uh, I actually have the 4th of July off from work, and I've been asked... Uh, Am I doing anything exciting for the 4th of July? And I, my response was sleeping, <laughs> eating. Yeah, trying to trying to reset for work. Obviously, Nick, and I'm sure you're probably in the same boat. Maybe you get a day off, but I'm guessing it's probably right back to work for you after that. But uh, yeah, 4th of July weekend, uh, obviously kind of the height of summer, really, if you want to put it that way, pushing into July here. Weather's getting warmer, I'm sure, especially down in Minnesota. And, uh, yeah, not a lot of hockey going on now, but still a lot to talk about, Nick. Uh, but first of all, 4th of July plans, anything big? Uh, family stuff, really. Yeah. Um, you know, just, again, trying to breathe in. Uh, yeah. The little time. Remember, to, remember to breathe out, too, when you... Oh, I'll write that down. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, like you said, it's 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 interesting when you get, you know, like out of school and, and granted, you know, for, for my personal, it's been like this for a while. You're just always boom, boom, boom. But for those, you know, it's just it doesn't feel the same when you're, you know, past a certain point. It's just it's you get an extra day if it falls on a weekday and then it's like right back to reality again. It just doesn't have the same. Yeah you know, pomp and circumstances, it probably did when you were younger. Um, but good to enjoy a day uh, with the family, extended family, um, and hopefully relax, eat some good food and uh, watch some fireworks and hopefully not, uh, you know, lose a, a limb in the process. I think that's that's the goal. Yeah, I I don't, I, I, I think it's easy for me to speak to say that I work nights, but I believe the fourth is on a Monday, correct? So that's kind of, yes. a, it's basically a long weekend for mm-hmm. people. Yeah, it tells you, I, like in my head right now, it's literally like, next tuesday it's it's not good um but speaking of moves done not on tuesday but on a wednesday uh the big one done for the minnesota wild they got it out of the way early kevin fiala to los angeles for their 2022 first round pick at number 19 and defenseman brock faber who is a 2020 second round selection at number 45 plays for the minnesota golden gophers and he'll return uh for his i believe junior season the junior or senior year i think, I think it's, it's junior. junior i think it's junior i could be wrong um but uh yeah kind of an interesting quote nick uh as we did confirm uh for those who for those who don't know this will be um this will be spliced and edited accordingly but for those who are curious uh nick maxson uh just clicked the wrong tab and ex- exited out of out of our show so there's that um and Kevin Fiala's time has exited in Minnesota, and Billy Guerin had this to say, um, quote, it just didn't fit. We've been down the negotiating road a couple times with Kevin already, so it sounds like there was some back and forth. I mean, we know that, you know, even before this year, but it sounds like, like, even before this, just sounds like they just weren't in a good spot with his agent, I think. You know, not that, not that negotiations were sour, but I think that they were just in a spot where they just didn't they match. Knew. Yeah, and he said, hey, look, he had a great year, and we knew we just weren't going to be able to do it. We knew that. Fiala's team knew it. Uh, there's no sense in trying to Everybody screw around. 
and, and trying to fit this in and trying to do that and give him a low ball deal. It's not going to work. We knew we were going to have to move him. Um, and I kind of respect that, you know, and I think that we talked about the Kevin Fiala piece. When you do it at the beginning of the summer, it makes it a little bit easier to stomach because by the time you get around a training camp, the, the new fit for the Minnesota wild is it, it, starting to bud. Um, and actually uh, a phone call from former guests of the show, uh, Bob Motzko, Billy Guerin called him to do some lowdown diligence on Brock Faber. Uh, Bob Motzko said he's an athlete. He's a world-class skater, conditioned athlete that can play all night long. He's already proven that at our level and on the international level. Of course, don't forget Correct. world junior champion uh, and also on the Olympic stage as well yep. too. Um, his offensive game is going to continue to improve, but he's already already a world-class defender and can play all situations. And I truly believe his offense is going to continue to grow. He's also tougher than snot. He's going to play for a long time in the National Hockey League. So high praise from the former St. Cloud State bench boss. And I agree. I mean, the guy eats pucks for a living. He kind of, his idol is Jonas Brodeen. And to be honest, he, he plays that similar style where it's not a flashy style. He reminds me of... Uh, uh, maybe like if you took Carson Soucy and uh, um, Nick Sealer and kind of put them together a little bit, you took Nick Sealer's physicality and Carson Soucy's skill and kind of just meshed them together and created a hybrid player of that. But he's probably even better than that skill wise, I think. Add in Jonas Brodeen's feet. Yeah, um, seriously. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, 100%. I, he was one of the better players of the USA Olympic roster. He was mm -hmm. very noticeable uh, during that tournament run, um, although USA didn't uh, medal uh, in that tournament. Um, a couple of things with this, right? First of all, yes, we're done with this. Thank God. Yeah. Um, number two, I'm still waiting to hear somebody say, blow it up. Uh, <laughs> oh, and uh, it's it's been absurd. I know. Number three, you have to understand the wild position in this <laughs> trade. I know Zero a lot leverage. of zero um, yeah when if you're the opposing gms and i'd say that plurally you know the wilds it's it's not a secret where the wilds position is especially you know on the balance sheet yeah and you know that there's no way you're going to resign him and i think bill garen went i think some people are taking bill garen's quote a little out of context when they say well i can't believe you know when he says i'm surprised he didn't create um a gm versus gm or like uh you know pitting teams against teams well no kidding because that wasn't going to happen in this case there was not going to yeah. be a bidding war um if anything if he did that i would argue that his return would have gone down um, yeah. so i think that again being straightforward i know there's people who don't like the fact that he's going to the same conference um i can i can see that a little so bit yeah, Why? so so Bill Guerin actually commented on that, and he said he said we had we had multiple suitors, but he yep. said he said if you cut the league in half, sometimes you're just not going to get a deal done. And the piece of this is that LA, you know, had both eight million dollars to toss at Kevin Fiala. They had a first round pick and a second round prospect that arguably could have been a late round first, the way that he's developed to throw at the Wild. And right, I, I was. And to jump in real quick, Noah, um, to finish the thought, yeah. I think what's I think what caps this all off. Don't tell me that teams have not been calling on Kevin even as far back as February in the trade deadline. Yeah. I think Bill Guerin had a sense of the market. I think he felt like mm -hmm. then, you know, he could have traded him then. I didn't expect him to, but he could have if the offer was right. Yeah. But again, the Wild had zero leverage, which means he, if anything, the longer he waits, the more the value goes down. He struck. I think he probably with the Kings who were all in from what we're hearing in reports, 
Yeah. Um, they were willing to go with a top prospect as well as a first round pick. Yeah. And again, to Baron's point, uh, to Garen's point, excuse me, um, when you get that offer, you don't create a market that you don't have. You have zero uh, room to pull strings and you make the deal happen. So I agree with it. I like the timing, the return. Are you going to replace 80 some plus points offensively? No, probably not. Um, maybe yeah. you could. Uh, yeah, but, we got we got to see if Matt Boldy continues to develop, if Marco Rossi makes the jump next year, you know, and know. and, you know, at pick number 19, it makes sense for L.A., who's got a pretty young prospect pipe, pipeline to really work with to kind of throw that out there. Here, here's the thing. You want to talk trade grades a little bit. I think if Kevin Fiala develops into half the star, he was in Minnesota, A plus for uh, the Kings. Good move for them. Sure. I think uh, they get a primetime winger uh, in the prime of his career. Uh, Minnesota, I would say, based on where they were at uh, and kind of with their hands tied behind their back, uh, B plus, I think a very good move for Bill Guerin, I would say. not. I, I don't put it in the A category simply because, you know, unfortunately we're at this point, uh, you know, money-wise. Right. But I was thinking about this, Nick. I was thinking about... Uh, you know, there's a lot of people you can tell people that really know the market and pay attention and people who are just the casual snap judgment fans by taking a look at this or not even taking a look at Brock Faber. Now, it will could Brock Faber not pan out for the Minnesota Wild? It's entirely possible. That's that's possible, that's, yes. that's the NHL. But I was thinking about what is a trade comparison that that matches this? And I was thinking about a team that essentially is uh, making a deal almost for like a rental in a sense where they don't have a lot of leverage on the last year of a contract. And my, my thought 34 year old Claude Giroux going to the Florida Panthers. So the Florida Panthers um, sent Claude Giroux, Connor Bunneman and German Rubstov and their fifth round pick next or, or two years down the road as part of the deal. In exchange, the flyers got Owen Tippett, who is a, a fairly high end. He's been a bubble player NHL right now. Um, mm -hmm. a conditional first round pick in 2024 and a third in the 2023 draft. So that first round pick, um, will be, uh, Florida's first rounder in 2024, unless it's top 10 protected, then they get the 2025 first rounder regardless. Um, and that was kind of my thought, like that was the price for a rental player that was basically a point per game player, even though he's 34 years old and a team that was selling at the deadline and they had not a whole lot of leverage, but they had a good player that they knew was kind of on his way out. It's not a perfect comparison because it's not often that you see RFAs that are dealt like this. But for me, it kind of gave me the vibe of a deadline deal. And look at the return. Claude Giroux, a point-per-game player, a prospect, and a first-round pick, plus some other brouhaha on top of that. But really, when you come down to it, a, a high-end prospect that's played in the show already and a conditional first-round pick that will be a first regardless. That was kind of my comparison. I think Bill Guerin, you know, it's not perfect. I think people wanted a prospect coming back that was, you know, big name. And Brock Faber maybe maybe isn't that guy. But I think all things considered, uh, it's a good move. And now the Wild uh, have a chance to take their next steps. And for, for those who don't understand whether it's draft picks or whether it's prospects, they're poker chips at the table, which means yeah. does Brock Faber even stay with the organization? Does yeah. – do the wild package two first round picks and move up in the draft. Um, Cause there are some teams, Philadelphia with Chuck Fletcher at the home that will trade down. Um, yeah. You know, at least he's expressed interest in that according to some at the athletic. Um, so do the, so what do the wild do, right? We know they need help at center. Um, what do they believe um, mm -hmm. 
is the status of Marco Rossi. Do they believe that he can quote unquote earn a spot on yeah. a training it, camp? It sounds like it. It sounds like it yeah. as well. Um, and so at the end of it, do you, you know, where do you think you're at? Um, again, the wild were a first round exit. So are you that close? Um, so I think Bill Guerin wants to hang on to those first round picks. Again, you have another right shot defenseman um, in Matt Dumba, who is not the same player as he once was. Contract year this year. Contract year. So the last year of his $6 million uh, five-year deal. So does he become trade bait? Um, again, he's not the the offensive player that we we have seen in the past. And, you know, so is there going to be more changing of the guard, not only because we need the money, but also does Matt Dumba just not fit the system anymore? We don't know. So yeah. again, yeah. I, I feel like there's more moves to be made, Noah, but uh, still a, a lot left to see, but it's good mm-hmm. to, to know that the return, at least um, you can do something with the return, whether it's you keep what you have or you package them up and you do some other kind of trade. And you know where you're at now and you, you've kind of returned to relative normal as far as offseason plans. So the Wild have three UFAs, Nick Bukestag, Nick Gloria, and Jordy Ben. Jordy Ben's definitely gone. Um uh, Nick Bukestad, maybe I could see as a serviceable, you know, legal league minimum. Yeah. Um, Nick Delore, uh, I, I, I don't know. Um, but, I don't think he impacted the way that they were hoping. Yeah. I don't but, think so. So what is the Minnesota wilds next plan? Bill Guerin said, uh, quote, it's a priority to re-sign Middleton who can become an RFA starting on July 13th. Um, he has yet to get an answer from Mark Andre Fleury as to whether he plans to re-sign or go to free agency later I this think month. He will test the market. Yeah, I think he will too. Um, so the wild, um, I for sure take care of Middleton. That's step one. And then after that, see where the chips fall. He talked about draft stock. You know, we've talked about do they package picks and try to move up in this draft. Um, I saw somebody was like, well, they'll package it for the for a third overall and get Logan Cooley. No, they won't. Shut up. Um, no the, one's going to. No not team's taking Logan that. Logan Cooley. No. Yeah. And the third overall selection is Arizona and they need all the help they can get. Uh, but the Wild do have seven selections in the draft. And as we've seen from Judd Brackett and company, they are very good at drafting. Um, they do. Before this, they were tied with the lowest draft pick in the first round for the Minnesota Wild, which is 24th overall. Ironically enough, that's where their conditional second or uh, compensatory, excuse me, second round pick came in this year's draft because they didn't sign uh, Mr. Johansson um, from all those years ago from the Paul Fenton era, um, who is 24th overall. Pick, yeah. Yes, so they have. So the Wild, two first-rounders at 19 and 24, two second-rounders at 47 and 56. Now, remember, uh, Minnesota was originally picking at – they would have picked at 40, but now they're picking at 47 because their second-rounder went to Chicago in um, the Marc-Andre Fleury deal. Um, but the second-rounder that they have in addition is uh, Vancouver's from Arizona. Um, the Wild do have a third-rounder, a fourth-rounder, a fifth, and a sixth. They did trade their seventh rounder for a 2025th rounder in the Devin Dubnik trade to San Jose. So, um, Nick, I, uh, you know, do you believe in this process? Do you believe in the draft class? Do you believe in the picks that Judd Brackett has to make? We kind of have some information related to, uh, you know, where people go as far as picks, you know, percentage wise and whether they'll become a star really i think the percentage wise is do they play in the show picks one to five 98 chance that they'll play in the show at least uh six to ten is now yakapov <laughs> yeah seriously <laughs> um although we had a little bit of a resurgence in, in colorado but uh that's neither here nor there um picks number six to 
Yeah, piss number 6 to 10, 89%. 11 to 20 is 75%. And then after that, it kind of really drops off. So the wild are really kind of in that threshold of, you know, trying to find a diamond in the rough. But as we've seen in past drafts, we've seen players go from 15 to 25. That's kind of the area where the 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 scouting team kind of kind of makes the dough a little bit. That's where you find those guys that you look back in drafts years later and you say, wow, they this team took this person at 13, but at 18, so-and-so was selected and they were unreal. Like I think Matthew Barzal was like a 15th overall selection or something like that in the draft. So you can find guys that are premier NHLers in this time. It's all about the scouting. Um, and some of it's should, plain luck. Yeah, and should the Minnesota Wild, Nick, should they be confident in their scouting team? Well, they have to be. That's what you're paying the money for, right? Um, I think the question is, Noah, I think, again, you try to ask Bill Garrett, how do you replace the production for Fiala, right? Yeah. Do you do it through the draft? Do you make it via trade? Um, is it already in your system with Marco Rossi? All of these factors play into the draft, which is coming up in, what, a week? Yeah. Yeah, it's that's a week. In fact, I'm trying to remember. Why don't we look up the actual date so our listeners know? But you know, Nick, right. and the it's, and the other thing is too is like, you know, the Wild made made their thing with Kevin Fiala. Kevin Fiala may never pan out in L.A. And that's again, you know, you know the hockey is such a goofy game, isn't it? Where yeah. you know, the line chemistry can be one. I mean, we saw that with Fiala, Boldy, and uh, Goudreau. Um, yeah. We also seen it where. I mean, geez, I mean, look what Evander Kane did to uh, Connor McDavid as well as uh, 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 Leon Dreisaitl. Um, holy cow, right? So it's, it's again, you just don't know until you see him play. Um, I'm very curious, Noah, what they feel of Marco Rossi right now. Because I do think that yeah. has a significant impact on how they will draft, especially in the first round. According to The Athletic and things that Michael Russo has written in multiple articles, he's talked about they expect that salary cap hit. They expect that to be at the NHL level. They expect him to make the jump, I think. Um, and in fact, statistic-wise, um, of course, the number nine overall pick, um, the draft coming up uh, is a week from uh, today, Thursday and Friday, July 7th and 8th, you are correct. In fact, Marco Rossi um, had a had a very productive year, and I don't want to get the stats wrong, so um, I'm going to look it up right now. And while um, you do that, Noah, what's what's important to, to know about how the Wild have changed the way they've used their development system is yeah. so significant because, again, with Marco Rossi, I mean, we, we see the raw talent, we see the skating, we see the IQ, but when you're in Iowa, right, and you're a 25-minute-a-night player, you're getting put into situations such as on the power play, on the penalty kill, and yeah. you know where you're learning facets of the pro game where if he does, in fact, make the jump, and I think all the signs are pointing to that, he's ready to go. He's not going to look out of place. Um, I mean, look what Matt Boldy did. He spent some time in the AHL. Um, he made a, a quicker transition, um, yeah. and, look, and he's looked – not out of place. Like in the playoffs, I think this year um, gave him a little bit of a wake up call as to how tough this league can be. Uh, but as far as regular season wise, uh, was was pretty good, I think. Yeah. So the Iowa Wild did not make the playoffs this season. They were thirty two and thirty one. Um, they finished sixth. Uh, so not exactly the greatest year for Iowa. But 63 games for Marco Rossi, 53 points, 18 goals, 35 assists, which is par for the course for a guy who was scouted primarily as a playmaker, 46 penalty minutes, and plus 11, which I think, uh, you know, you talk about it as, 
you know, the stat that's broken, but plus 11 on a team that was essentially 500 and didn't make the playoffs is a, is a bigger Testament than you think. Um, especially on the forward side. So on the center side, yeah, ex- not, not to speak. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, I, I think that he makes the jump. Um, the question is what's the wild do with the draft. And here's the thing you, you lost Kevin Fiala that happened. You hope Matt Boldy continues to flourish. Marco Rossi alleviates that pressure. Kevin Fiala, Yes. Did he had a ha- did he have a heck of a year? He had 33 goals. Yes. You know, but he was also this guy, and we've seen this in Minnesota, where for sometimes for a couple games, a week, maybe even a month, he kind of disappeared a little bit. Now that's normal. Hockey players go through ebbs and flows throughout a season. But like I said, LA might have just signed a potential seven to eight year dud. Like you have no idea. Now, Kevin Fiala, I think, is gonna do fine. You know, I think that needs to be said. Right. But at the same time, Minnesota is now on to their next step. And they're going to have to obviously replace Fiala's production. But besides Kevin Fiala, the Wild, are the, they're the same team. And last time I checked, they had a pretty good season last year. In fact, the best in franchise history. So there's a lot of pieces that they have to work with. And what's even more impressive is they have 12 to $14.5 million in dead cap on top of this. Imagine if they didn't. But it's almost forced Minnesota and Bill Guerin to make the right moves and really think critically about what this team needs. And I think the Wild have been better for it. Sucks losing Fiala, but now they're on to the next thing. And I think Marco Rossi might be one of those guys. In time will tell, right? And you, you kind of will we'll see, right? Because when free agency opens, if they trade for a center or whatnot, that'll give us an indication of where they believe he is and do they need some insurance yeah. um, from Marco Rossi? Because again, uh, you know, you're into year two of Kirill Kaprizov's mm-hmm. five-year deal. Um, you know that you, you need to give him the want to stick around. Um, again, 113 points, best season in franchise history. That's nothing to scoff at. That was a hell of a season. Um, and just real quick on Fiala too, Noah, right? The game breaker of Kevin Fiala, right? The argument is, is thrown around pretty loosely of how, okay, but that game breaking thing could be a big reason that you move on in the playoffs. Yeah. We haven't seen that from Kevin Fiala. Yeah. We've seen the opposite, right? So yeah, just the, just in the playing round against Vancouver was really the only time we saw it. Yeah. Yes. No. So he has the ability. We've known we've seen that, but the last yeah. two effective playoff runs, uh, well, I should say the last player run, he was he was pretty quiet. Now part of that is too, Noah, is that your opposing team is scouting, you know, your greatest yeah. threats, and you are definitely paying more attention to those players. Um, Kaprizov, holy cow, did he um, essentially bust through uh, any sort of defensive uh, armor that they put up seven goals? Uh, was it nine or ten points in the playoffs? I believe yeah. it was nine. So he did okay. But again, you got to support that. I think the Wild are very close to the Edmonton Oilers in a sense where they have in years past. What I mean by that is you have yeah. some pretty, pretty good high-level players, but you don't have that same depth. Uh, again, we, going back to Colorado, we'll touch on it later again, but real quickly, Nazem Kadri, I think he really was the cornerstone piece that got Colorado to yeah, him. Up. Him and Valerie Nachuskin, you know, two guys yeah. that maybe you wouldn't have selected in this roster to be those guys. And, you know, and you're building towards the future. And, uh, of course, don't forget Colorado, you know, not even a decade ago, was once the laughing stock of the NHL. And now look where they are. So, you know, there's yeah. big moves to be made. My final question before we jump over to the Avs, Nick, um, the other side of this deal, Brock Faber, we've kind of mentioned him here or there. For those who really don't know about Brock Faber and don't realize the value that he brings back in this trade, uh, what are the Minnesota Wild getting in uh, the hometown Golden Gopher? 
So what they're getting is a smart, smooth skating, tough, good positional defenseman. Um, again, he's he's comparable to a Brodeen. I would say he's more comparable to Brodeen than a Susie Sealer mix because I don't. Yeah, yeah, he's tough, but he's not really sort of like you'd call it like a, the the doorkeeper if you yeah. want to call it right. Um, has some offensive instincts. Uh, we've seen that in, in the playoffs, yeah. even this last year in the NCAA. He's, Olymp- he's an Olympian, you know, like. <laughs> yeah, so uh, he reads plays well. Like he, he can walk the blue line. He can get shots through. But more importantly, the defensives end, um, he can really take care of business. And again, um, I think for the casual fan, uh, again, being a right shot defenseman, um, also with those skill sets, I mean, did we not just find the replacement for Matt Dumba? If you're going to look at it that yeah. way, I don't see it necessarily the same thing, um, because and in, what the Kalen Edison lovers. But yeah. here we go. And, um, and you talk about the, the the draft picks too. Jesper Wallstedt last year at 20, and then you have Carson Lambos, who you throw him in with Kalen Addison and him and Brock Faber. That's kind of the trio there for the Wild as kind of their primary A level. Yeah, building from the goaltending on out, and hmm. That sounds what, like Minnesota Wild Hockey, doesn't back it? Stanley Cup Panthers <laughs> have done that in recent. Mm, oh, yeah. that's right, Tampa. Oh, huh. oh. Yeah. and 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 to and just to because as you mentioned, Wallstead, uh, he was recently, I think, in the top seventeen or like it was like seventeen of my top twenty prospects. I haven't cracked the NHL yet. I think Marco Rossi was like nine. Yeah. Um, I, I think that was a hockey news article that was posted. So, yeah, Wallstead, it looks to be the real deal, which is good. Um, you've got Lambos, Anison, Brock Faber, um, Jack Peart, Sam Jack Hedges, Peart, yeah. Damian O'Rourke, uh, Carson Lambos. You've got a, a, you could have up to five Minnesota Wild defensive prospects in the World Juniors this this August. Think about that. Not Holy too shabby. Not, too, not shabby. too shabby. Yeah, but and then and have a freaking center. <laughs> and they and they get a, and they get a chance of course the wild dude to have a close look at Brock Faber as he probably yes. enters what will probably be his last year with the Gophers six foot zero 190 pounds a right shot defenseman only 19 years of age his 20th birthday is coming up in August the Maple Grove Minnesota native you mentioned Tampa Bay well uh close but no cigar for them on the three-peat Colorado does win the Stanley Cup it is their third in franchise history uh, 1996 and 2001 were the other ones beating Florida and New Jersey, respectively, four games and seven. Um, of course, uh, Ray Bork in 2001, that just gives chills every time chills I watch that. Time. Yeah. Wow. So um, some kind of kind of fast facts and figures here. Uh, Kale McCarr becomes the first NHLer to win a Hobie Baker, a Calder, a Norris, a Conn Smythe, and a Stanley Cup. Oh, by the way, he's 23, he Nick. He's 23. Is he um, yeah, he's all right. Uh, also, also has a gold medal at the World Junior Championships. How about that one? Um, the only thing he doesn't have is an NCAA championship. Seriously, he doesn't have. Yeah, thanks, Max Veach, and an Olympic Nuts. gold for that matter. Um, right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so Colorado, um, like we mentioned, third cup in franchise history. They've never been on the losing end of a Stanley Cup final, um, and yeah. they're only the fourth team ever to win a cup in all of their first three final appearances, which would be the Montreal Canadiens, the original Ottawa Senators, all of the St. Louis Eagles. Is actually who they were, right? Um, and uh, yeah, the Toronto Maple Leafs as well. So you know what's interesting? Uh, they're now tied for eleventh in Stanley Cups. You know what's interesting? There's actually not a lot of teams that have won a Stanley Cup. 
105 oh, champions. Oh, you don't say. 105 champions. I think I think that's really speaking to the audience that has never seen a Stanley Cup. But exactly what I'm saying though is I think that you know wild fans are encapsulated and I think a lot of other fan bases are too of oh we've never gotten a Stanley Cup. We've never gotten I can this. name you all the teams currently that haven't won a cup. You just let me know. Yeah, well, I can name you all the teams that have won a cup. How about this? Montreal has okay. 23, Toronto has 13, Detroit has 11. So there's a yep. huge chunk from the original six. Uh, Boston, Chicago, Edmonton, Pittsburgh, the Islanders, uh, Rangers, and the St. Louis Eagles, the original Ottawa Senators, all have four. Right. Colorado, New Jersey, and Tampa now have three. Los Angeles, Philadelphia, and the Montreal Maroons have two. Um, and then Dallas, St. Louis, Calgary, Anaheim, Carolina, and Washington for current teams – Plus seven now defunct teams way back in the day. Way back, yeah. All have one, and that's it. Yeah. That's it, dude. You know, so um, the Lightning, uh, we're looking to become just the sixth team ever to win three straight cup finals uh, and the first since the New York Islanders in the early 1980s. But they are the first to go to three straight finals in the salary cap era and the first since the 1980s as well. So, Nick, um, two heavyweight teams that went back and forth on this one. Tampa easily could have forced the game seven if they got another bounce or two in the first period and kind of put that one away in game six. Um, what what did you think of the Stanley Cup final first, obviously? Um, and number two, what can other teams around the league take from this templates of a te- teams that were both juggernauts to start the year, but also made some significant moves? And I'm sorry, Tyson Jost. I'm sorry. <laughs> and yes, uh, you're welcome, Nico. He, uh, sorry, not Nico Hischer, Nico Sturm. Wow. Yeah. Um, my mind is still out east. Holy cow. Um, great Stanley Cup final. Yeah. Uh, you talk about Colorado being, well, they have you favored even from the season opener, effectively. Uh, Tampa, again, back-to-back cup winners. Uh, we know what they can do, right? Yeah. Uh, a couple of things. Um, Colorado steamrolled their way to the cup final. A big reason they did that was speed. This team was the fastest team all season long, and they used it in all three areas of the ice. I think a lot of teams especially in your executive offices, will be looking at that. Um, just because, again, it didn't matter which line Jared Bednar threw out there. Um, they were on pucks defensively. There was no time or space for you to do anything. Just ask the Tampa power play. Um, and really for, for the Avalanche, the back checking. Holy cow. Um, even with how high flying that is, um, how many times you would see uh, Nate McKinnon or Darren Helm um, the guys who can still motor uh, come back through the middle and, and take up, uh, you know, trailing wingers or trailing defensemen. Um, for Tampa, they were able uh, to a degree find at times a way to slow them down. Um, yeah. And that was no easy task. Um, I, I think it took them whole mice in game three to figure out the matchups. Yeah. Um, I think a big reason game six ended for Colorado was not only were they still without Braden Point, the number two center, they lost Anthony Sorelli, the number three center. Um, in that game as well. So depth down the middle, uh, Minnesota Wild fans, I don't need to tell you anything more than that. Yeah. Um, but but again, Tampa's so creative in the way that they enter the offensive zone um, where they can kind of push you through, uh, but then kind of hang out top of the circles, uh, find those seam passes. Um, the power play was a little bit better down the stretch, um, but more so Andre Vasilevsky again, uh, I think is a big reason that they extended it to six. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, two different teams, two different styles, um, both fighting for sports ultimate trophy and not dropping it before the photo op. My God, yeah. what the 
hell are you doing? Whoops. Um, I'm sure there's probably, and it looked like it was just the, the base. Yeah. Uh, not the actual and, trophy. And for those, and for those who don't know, there's actually three Stanley Cups anyway. So, uh, you know, it happens. But, you know, yeah. the and, and it's a heavy trophy, 35 pounds. Yeah. Those things actually happen uh, a fair often amount, especially during the celebrations, okay. you know, okay. in the summer as well, too. But, you know, it's pretty impressive. You have to give Tampa Bay their props. And, and yeah. you know, to be where they are, to go through the injuries where they were, and to basically come within one game of having a shot at a third Stanley Cup. I mean, that's an impressive run for any team. And they were the juggernaut. They were the team to beat. Um, And they just ran into a Colorado team that had a ton of firepower. But, you know, they were on a mission. You know, it's crazy, uh, you know, especially the core. um, Poor Corey Perry, by the way. But, you know, especially, thank goodness he has one from 2007. But, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's interesting because Tampa went from being the dominant team, which I thought they were a fair amount, maybe not so much in round one. I thought Toronto was pretty good and shows how good the Maple Leafs were and probably could have went um, mm-hmm. definitely dominant round number two, round number three, a slight hiccup in the beginning, but then really asserted, you know, their game at the tail end of that series. Stanley cup final Tampa was kind of like, you know, when you, when you go to the mall and your annoying little kid brother tags along and no matter how hard you try to lose him, he somehow sticks around, you know what I yeah. mean? Just because the, in a lot of those games, they were outplayed for the majority of those games, but they were they opportunistic were. in their chances. They had flourishes, especially game six. We talked about the first period. They were the dominant team. But in the third period, they didn't register a shot until the 10-minute mark, you know. So yeah. you talk about Tampa and the way that they were able to win high-scoring games, low-scoring games, games where they were dominant, games where they, out, they were outplayed. They had a lot of recipe for success. They just finally met their match in a Colorado team that was one step quicker and probably a little bit healthier than they were. When you go on, 100%. when you go on, two point nine percent of three Stanley Cups for the Tampa Bay Lightning, you know that's a toll on your body that it takes on a core and a short off season and a long regular season. Albeit even with the COVID pieces as well too. Don't forget their first Stanley Cup was one in August. You know so. Right. Uh, so there's there's a lot of things that uh, go into play, but this Colorado team, scary team, they're going to lose some pieces. Nazem Kadri has kind of indicated he wants to stay, but he wants his money too, and he's going to get it somewhere. Chuck um, Fletcher will sign him to a major <laughs> deal, <laughs> even though you can only sign him for seven. Yes. Gross. Uh, unless, uh, well, I guess technically Colorado could technically trade his rights like tomorrow, and then they could do it. But anyway, um, beyond that, uh, yeah, maybe they'll trade him for Kevin Field. Um, you know, here's the. Here's the thing is that these two teams, it's not often that you say, you know, because Dallas made it in 2020. Montreal had the had the wild season in 2021 and then disappeared as a franchise this year. Um, nice. These are two teams where it's not often you see two heavyweights go at it, but it's not often you look at two teams and say, yep. They earned this. They earned every bit of this to be here. You know, a lot of times there is a lot of luck that goes into, you know, getting to a Stanley Cup final. These two teams earned it. And I think that when you look at Tampa Bay, they were not the powerhouse of the Atlantic this year, but they had the pedigree. They had the two Stanley Cups. And it's also not often that you look at a two-time Stanley Cup champion, back-to-back champion, and then you look at a team that comes from the division that the Minnesota wild play in. And you look at both of them and say, you know what? I'd be happy if either of them won. They're both equally deserving. You have a chance to three-peat as a Stanley cup champion, or you have a chance to dethrone one of the best teams in hockey and start your own legacy for a Colorado team that has had the core for a long time, but has really never gotten over the hump. I mean, well-deserved a a, a very entertaining Stanley cup final, um, you know, to watch. Yeah. 
It, it really was. And uh, again, I, I think a lot of people wrote off Tampa after Colorado went up 2 nothing. I, I stayed firm that going back on home ice, um, let one get away in game four. Uh, came back and again to go back home on the I'll go back on the road. You can't go back home on the road. That doesn't make sense, Nick. Um, and <laughs> Unless, then we're able to win in Denver. You know, again, yeah. and, you know, even John Cooper said, "Yeah, the altitude's a thing. It definitely affects his game too. Uh, there's no question that the altitude does affect you uh, yeah. in Denver. Um, and then to have a chance to go back home, um, you score first, and it was a not a great goal by Darcy Kemper to give up in Game Six. Jan Ruda from with no deflection, no screen from the half wall. And granted, yeah. it's, it's a hard shot, but right at him, he missed it. You, again, you could have gone either yeah. way with that, right? No, game you, five. Yeah, it was game five. That was, was game. That was game five. Was that five? Pretty sure it was game five. I thought that was six. Yeah, it was Pretty game sure. five because that was that that was the game that the Avs lost. Remember, I think. I could be wrong. I you could know, be wrong too. Either I, way. I, I was I was still stuck on the part where you said um, playing at home on the road at home, and I, I immediately I know, thought, right? thought of the Arizona Coyotes again. Oh yeah, but <laughs> I mean, but too, I get. I think the bigger point is Darcy Kemper didn't look that great um, in yeah. games three, four, and even game five. They and, they almost didn't need him. That's the crazy thing. And that's on the MNCAA podcast. Not to shameless plug, but we talked about how you know Darcy Kemper. Was, was kind of the antithesis to the Eastern Conference Final, where you had two really good goaltenders in uh, Shisturkin and uh, Vasilevsky yeah. um, going at it. And at the end of the day, the way that Colorado was built, he just had to be average. And his stats weren't great. Yeah. But again, Colorado played that off-the-ice yeah. style. They wanted to be on the offensive zone. He just needed to make a few saves here and there. And, and, he, and he's now a UFA. So, uh, and he's a Stanley Cup champion. Yeah, how about that? Uh, Pavel Franco, yeah, Pavel, <laughs> Pavel Franco, I think had a had a pretty uh, decent little he run did. too as well. He but did. a lot of people have tweeted that now Darcy Kemper, best goaltender in Wild history. Ouch. Anyway, um, beyond that, um, who is the best goaltender in Wild history? By the way, I, I would say technically by the record, isn't it Backstrom? I would did... say Backstrom. Manny Fernandez was pretty good. Dwayne Rolson was, um, was, was pretty good. Um, not anybody recently. That's all we're trying to say. Um, without further ado, I thought Bruce Goloff was up there. You know, here's the thing. Uh, dare I say this? You know, I mean, to be fair, he brought him to overtime of game six of the second round, which is as far as that the wild have been since 2003. True. You know, he was very serviceable at the tail end of, I mean, only made one save in that game seven against Colorado and the Nino Niederreiter goal. But then he, he was serviceable in the Chicago series against one of the best teams, you know, in that. Kept couple- him in it, stanchion gate. And let's not forget too, he was the third string goaltender because Backstrom was out with a groin. I think Darcy Kemper went down. He and was. Darcy Kemper got hurt in that game hurt. in the third period. And here's the thing, Call- or Chicago ended up losing in overtime in Game 7 to the eventual Stanley Cup champions, LA Kings, because Alec Martinez scored. So, you know, I mean, you think about that, too. Uh, he was he was fairly serviceable. You know, Devin Dubnik, I'm not going to say he's the best ever, obviously, but he was, in the first couple years of his career in Minnesota, looked pretty good and benefited from a defensive structure in front of him. Um I you think know, he had a honeymoon resurgence too, honestly. Yeah, he um, did. Um, but there's not another name after that that I really think of that I go, you know, Cam Talbot was really good this year, but Cam, that was one year, you know. I, yeah, I and it, you, you kind of wonder where Cam Talbot's head is at too if Mark Rondi Fleury does decide to return. Um, yeah. 
because you, you, again, going back to, well, a position of need, uh, Cam Talbot is coming up in the last year of his three-year deal with the Minnesota Wild, a pretty team-friendly deal to, to boot, right? And you yeah. kind of wonder, you know, is there a little bit of friction there between Cam Talbot and maybe the general manager? Um, hard to say. We will know for sure. But um, yeah. do you really think Jesper Wallstead is, is ready to go next year? I would, I would think yeah. not. Um, but again, um, we talk about wingers and centers, uh, Minnesota Wild have a quite the goalie conundrum approaching them at the end of the season. And heck, if things go upside down, dare I say, it could even be earlier than that. So we'll have to watch the, the goaltending carousel. It's about to take place here for the wild. And it's coming up pretty quick. Well, good thing they have a ton of cap space. Anyway, that will do it. That will do it for the main portion of the show. We will head on to our extra ice session. We're going to talk about the Hall of Fame. And welcome into the Extra Eye Session, episode 118 here. Nick Maxson joining myself, Noah Grant. Nick, um, an interesting article uh, came out in the score. And now, you know, for those who, who follow the score, it's not exactly known as as the cream of the crop, prim and proper for, uh, you know. Or investigative journalism. Yeah, and electric articles. But this is one of the best ones I've seen on the site in, in quite a while. And it was talking about how um, <clears throat> Alexander McGillney, uh, essentially um, playing for Buffalo um, for the majority of his career, um, the 13th consecutive year that he was snubbed for the Hall of Fame, and they kind of compared him to some of the players. So Alexander McGillney, you know, 990 games played, um, a 1.04 point per game clip, 1,032 points. Compare that to Daniel Alfredson, who has uh, just over 100 and 20 more points than him, but also played in like over 350 more games than McGillney. Um, you know, and Marion Marty St. Louis, Paul Correa, all these guys that had a similar points per game, a similar point clip. Probably the best comparable, I would say, Paul Correa, who was inducted in 2017, 989 games, so one less game, and 989 points. Um, you know, had less points than McGillney, obviously played a, a tad later than McGillney at the start of his career, so to speak. But why is it that there's some of these guys that for whatever reason, especially in Alexander McGillney, the first Russian to essentially defect from his country and mm -hmm. take the risk of his life being ended to come play hockey in North America. And you his know, family's life to be, to be yeah, also fair. And has, and has the argument to be in there as a player for sure. But if not, then maybe as a builder for that action alone, why is it that there are some guys that just continually get snubbed and does the hall of fame need to be a little bit more transparent in the way that they go about things? Cause we never really hear about the process. It's more, Oh yeah, this player was selected and this player was rejected. And there it is. Even well, let's, let's go with, I'll answer it this way. It doesn't change anything. Even if it does become transparent. Yeah. Here's why I say that you have players, personnel, whoever, right. That, become Hall of Fame eligible every year that are different. And it's kind of like the baseball Hall of Fame, right? Where we've seen players get left and you're like, how in the hell is this guy not in Cooperstown, right? Yeah. It's no different. Um, I believe though that balloting is public information, if I recall correctly, for the Baseball Hall of Fame. And at the end of the day, I don't know how you explain it, Noah. I don't know because, I mean, we had this conversation about the Hobie Baker uh, sort of voting, right? We've had this, yeah. uh, you can almost have the conversation about MVP voting. 
And it's just, what are the people casting their ballots? What's their priority like? Now, I think we need to set the stage a little bit different because essentially what the score is insinuating is that there's some sort of blockade for Alexander McGinley. Am I correct on that? Essentially, there's a concerted effort to keep him out of the hall. So, so Buffalo News, Mike Harrington, um, who's a credible source, yeah, one of the reporters says that um, there's a there's a sentiment that maybe there's a feeling McGilney won't participate in any of the induction ceremonies. He didn't come to Buffalo in 2016 for the Greater Buffalo Sports Hall of Fame ceremony. That's kind of just how it rolls. But again, we've talked about you know the first Russian to be named captain of an NHL club. He's he is uh, third in goals and fourth in points among Russian players all time. 76 goal season along with Tamo Solani's rookie season, but he did 76 goals in seven fewer games than Solani. Led the New Jersey Devils with 43 goals at 31 years of age. 79 points at age 33 leading the Leafs. You know, he has all the accolades. My question is, even if he's not at the induction ceremony, does that mean that his on-ice production suddenly makes him not worthy? I would say by the numbers alone. And by the accolades for his country on top of that, and especially doing a lot of these feats at an older age for a long time. I mean, he played from, you know, the, the 90s all the way through until his retirement in 2007. He was just good. He was good. Well, don't we have this thing called technology where you can be on a Zoom call? I mean, have yeah. we not, like, sort of accepted that as kind of everyday life now? Yeah. Um, and who cares? I don't know. It, like, I don't, I don't know what know. his English is, but, like, who cares? You know? that's assuming that's what's happening right that's there's yeah. that's a predicate that's that's the narrative that's being played is that really what's happening with the ballot people though i don't really think if you're casting a ballot you're asking the question mm, oh he won't be there screw that guy i don't i don't see it that way noah but, um, my, but my question is if like for example the city twins very deserving of their entry into the sure. hall of fame you know and then Roberto Luongo. Do you take Roberto Luongo, who granted different position, but also had a really great career, and you look at Alex McGilney, is that the be-all when you have, you know, there's a lot of players. There's only so many entries into a Hall of Fame induction each year, you know, four or five players. And if you have two players who are neck and neck, but you know one of them is going to be at the ceremony and one of them is not, is it still right to, to not take the sure. other one? But we don't know that. You're absolutely right. But I think this that's kind of the, the, the preface of the conversation we're having is, you know, does there need to be a little bit more understanding of how the process works? Because if you have two players who are equal in caliber, why so shouldn't asking, why should really they asking, both get in? You're asking if basically what you're asking is, does the ballot holder hold a prejudice against casting a vote to a player who may or may not show up to the freaking ceremony is that what we're asking because that's essentially what we are i mean it it, yeah i meant it to sound silly and i'm not this is not a a gas on you all but i'm picking apart the score article for a reason because at the end of it it's dumb i'm sorry i'm going to come out and say it it's a dumb article uh you gotta read it you haven't read it then okay well we'll put it this way even if you make some compelling arguments, I still feel there is an argument to be made. Is that are you really saying that over what 50 or so people who vote for those who are in the Hall of Fame are on a concerted effort and are looking at who is going to be? But it's not just it? it's it's not just Alex McGillney. I'm just saying that's what was reported. I'm not. Don't shoot the messenger here. I'm not. But, yeah, I'm just. Point, I'm, just you know, I'm, I'm trying to understand why this conversation is being had, and you know. 
you, you got to give me more than that is what I'm saying. And when I say so, 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 he, so here's here's another piece. Okay, Peter Forsberg, Eric Lindros, Pavel Bure, Yarmer Yager. Those are the only players to have finished with a higher points per game than McGillney since he retired in 2007. It's mm -hmm. superior to Tamu Solani, Steve Eiserman, Joe Sakic. Goal total better than Pat LaFontaine, Peter Stastny, and Pavel Bure, and it also exceeds Paul Correa. Like, mm -hmm. that's no, I get it. You know, I, it's confusing. You know what I mean? You know, state for the self, but you know, we're not asking, we're not asking the accolades of the player. They're asking why the writers or whoever's voting for the Hall of Fame. Why are they not seeing that? Why are they not right putting their confidence of him being deserving of a spot in the Hall of Fame? Right. And that's and, and that and that's my question is, you know, why are there some players who statistically, you know, granted, I, you know, I don't think he ever won a cup. Um, I could be wrong. I, well, he might have actually with uh, New Jersey, New Jersey. Yeah. Um, you know, but that's the thing is when you have guys that have similar accolades to guys who are in the hall at that point, when do you start asking the question? You know, I'm right. not saying I'm not saying that him not showing up to the ceremony. We don't know. I mean, he could show up to the ceremony. We don't know. Um, and but I think like, we've. And again, whether he does or not, I don't think, at least for me, yeah. would make a difference. Yeah, Even if we like, knew the answer. Yeah, the question is, where is it coming from? Where there's some guys that, you know, they have the they have all the credibility that you talk about when you talk about a Hall of Fame guy. He's got his cup. He's got his point production. He's got all of these things. He's as a as a pseudo builder. He you know was one of the first to defect and come over to play in North America. He's got all these things. So what gives? You know. I'm going to go on a limb a little bit here because the game of hockey, we've talked about the culture of hockey and maybe some of its negatives. Right. Yeah. But I think we're maybe some positives and the positives that could well turn back into a negative. Let's go that way. Um, <laughs> it is a very close knit, small community. Right. And Alex Mogilny and just bear with me as I go through this explanation, yeah. he was never one that really wanted the spotlight. He was yeah. never one that, you know, really wanted the attention. He did his job. He did it well. He enjoyed what he did, but he really wasn't there to, you know, raise the cup, go to a camera and say, interview me. Same with Paul Correa. Right. I, but Paul Correa has a bit of a different, I mean, the story for him, he follows him. I don't know. You, you almost, at the end of the day, what I'm trying to say is you, you kind of wonder if maybe, with the people that he played hockey with or were around with, whether it's reporters or whoever that are voting, just never really got to know him that well. That so, kind of thing. So, does... so, so therein lies the question, uh, by the way, one of only 30 players in the triple gold club, gold medal in the Olympics, world championship and a Stanley cup. Also, a six, are there. also a six time NHL all-star. But the question is, does, does there need to be more input from, former players, different aspects of the media. Does there need to be like a fan voting thing? You know, and I, I, I say, I say, I say that no. loosely, like I'm not saying the fans are going to vote the hall of fame, but I'm saying, are there other components and aspects that we need to throw in, you know, that, that are more than just what the committee does. The committee need a shakeup or does the process need a shakeup is what I'm trying to ask. I don't think so. I say this, why you know, we're talking about one player, right? Now, I'm not saying that he's the only one that's in this position by any means. Now, if there was some sort of, you know, revolt that you could say, yeah, or some consensus effort that you could really point to and say, yeah, no, people have 
banded together. There's text messages and say, yeah, no, I'm not voting for McGillney because he's Alex McGillney. Yeah. Okay, sure. You're never going to get that. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, let's put it this way. Does the, do the stats alone make somebody a Hall of Fame player? They do if you win a Stanley Cup. That's what we've been told for years and years. We talked about Alex Ovechkin, one of the greatest shooters of all time, and the argument was he wasn't going to be in the Hall of Fame until he got his Stanley Cup. He did. He got it. You know. Like, I would argue that if he did not win a Stanley Cup in 2018 but breaks the goal-scored record, he's in there no matter what. Well, yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Now you're talking about the statistics again. That's talking, what I'm saying. Is you know, We, we changed the goalposts. And it, it goes back to my original point, which is it's a whole picture of things. And transparency doesn't solve it. You could have a review, but again, they're human beings. These these are these are subjective animals. They're gonna have an opinion, they're gonna have something here or there that's going to sway them one way or the other. And again, and this is where it actually hurts Alex Mulgilney, is that is He's been out of the game for a while now. And when you have namesakes come up like the Sedin twins, like Luongo, like Alfred Sen, who they deserve to be they're there. All deserving, sure. yeah. They're all deserving. All deserving. Um, but you kind of all of a sudden start to be, you know, pardon the expression, but you kind of start getting put off to the side and you start collecting dust a little bit as your namesake, right? Yeah. Um, you, so, mentioned, you, mentioned, you mentioned a name, by the way, who was also obviously mentioned in this article for comparison. You know, Daniel Alfredson, we talked about it. He had the same point total um, in 230 more games. Uh, obviously has a lot of highlights on the international stage, but I believe does not have a Stanley Cup. No, he does not. You know what I mean? Uh, like, like no, that's right. that's where that's where I think that a lot of people are asking the question about, uh, you know, Hall of Fame parody, so to speak. I know, like on the women's side, Megan Duggan, Julie Chu were both, you know, nominated for this as well. And Megan Duggan, of course, is in a front office position in the National Hockey League right now. You know, it's, um, it's just it, it's a question that I just was curious about, and I kind of read through the article, and again, I wasn't expecting much from an article from the score, and it kind of. If anything, it made me think a little bit about, is there something that needs to needs to kind of be repostulated here? And when you, like I said, when you compare Daniel Alfredson, who was just admitted into this induction class, and his numbers are not only comparable with McGillney, his accolades are not only comparable, but he has one less Stanley Cup, and he also took 200 more games to get to the same point production that McGillney did. Now, granted, Alfredson played in a little bit of a later time frame, so mm -hmm. you take that into account, I think. But beyond that, it's just it's a curious case to me. And I think there's more it's than curious, just right? more and, just more than Alex McGillney that, you know, oh, are no probably the, probably the victim of this. And not that no. not that we need to start entering people left and right, but there are some guys that you just you look and you go, hmm, you know. I think and again, you you're going to have just like Angel Hernandez and how he can't call a freaking game, you're gonna have <laughs> you're gonna have missed players that deserve to be in the hall that don't get added. Yeah. And as much as, especially in today's world where there's, whether it's sports or anything else, there's video replay, there's data, there's all these things that we can go back and say, no, this happened or no, this didn't happen. Um, Wild fans still think a goal went in, um, uh, was it meter writer? Oh, against, against Dallas. Against yeah. Dallas. Never happened. No, it did not. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, it did not. Um, unfortunately, you know, that's just the way it works. You're, you're going to have these, you know, absentees, if you want to call it that, 
probably deserve, and as we've touted with Mogilny, everything points to him having a spot in the Hall of Fame. The problem is, is the Hall of Fame isn't an earned spot. It's an elected spot. Yeah. And that's that's the issue. I mean, isn't that the issue with the United States right now? Anyways, so yeah, <laughs> you have things it's, that it's, are, it's weird. It's are weird elected. Though you would think that the elected spot is earned by, you know, the right. Play, but and, and that's the idea of it. Right. But yeah. the problem is, is that's not how it works. Yeah. Um, it's in it. And it's and it's it's bad because, again, we're focusing on one specific player. As we've said, it's more than him for sure. Um, and you kind of wonder, will there ever be a case, whether it's does McGillney's name continue to get brought up or just somebody else? Let's take Austin Matthews. Yeah. Let's say Austin Matthews trolls Leafs Nation and goes to Arizona, never wins a cup, but he scores 60 goals a season. By some of the comments we've seen, and you brought yeah. it up, oh, he never won a cup, so that means he's not in there. Well, why, why does it have to be that way? Right. You know, so it's it's weird. And let's just say that it's 10 years after he stops playing, he's still not there. Well, one of the greatest American-born goal scorers of his time, how the hell is he not in the Hall of Fame, right? So more of this is going to happen. Yeah. And I kind of wonder, to your point, is, I mean, you can't really prevent that because what you're essentially, the argument we're making is how do we prevent players that statistically are more than not deserve to be in the Hall don't get left out. Again, it's not like you have to score a thousand goals and you got your spot on, you know, on a bronze statue in yeah. the, in Toronto. It, it's you got to get the votes, and it's a curious case. There's no it's question a, it's, about it's it. A, it's a very human issue, and yeah, uh, it's a human issue, and it, and it sucks because there's no way you can fix that. Yeah, there well, really isn't. What what we would like to know, find us on Twitter at Warming House Den or drop something in the comments below here. We'd love to know what you think and love to know if you have any input onto the Hall of Fame activities. Like you mentioned on the baseball side, Angel Hernandez keeps uh, keeps ringing my cell phone, but all I see is a bunch of missed calls. Um, oh my gosh. How about that one? Uh, yeah, something you won't want to miss. I think Husky- Drake picked up. something something you won't want to miss so the huskies warming house podcast will be back in action uh for our regular sunday release coming up on july 10th we are going to enjoy the fourth of july holiday around here so um do have some more exciting things coming out for episode number 119 but i think that's going to do it uh for us here so for nick max and i'm noah grant and we will see you soon in the den Timer come in, they score! Ripped in! A bomb from Perks! So Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies alongside. Dwayne Kaprizov in for a chance to win it! He scores! Kirill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL! Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.